Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. Hello and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. This is Richard Lummis, I'm here with Tom Fox for another discussion on how to improve our leadership skills. We believe leadership is a skill which can be improved with study of both good and bad practices. We try to draw interesting examples from many sources, including history, fiction, film, and business writing. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Uh, today's podcast veers a little bit from what we normally discuss, the uh, February 12th and 19th, 2018 anniversary issue of the New Yorker magazine contains an article by David Gran, who wrote uh, The Lost City of Z, among other things. Yeah, it's titled Alone on the Ice, about a man named Henry Worsley's Antarctic Expeditions, which culminated in his attempt to cross the continent alone and unaided. The leadership components of the story will be limited to his previous journeys, which Worsley took with companions, and also his hero worship of Ernest Shackleton, from what I would consider the golden age of polar exploration, the first two decades of the 20th century. Shackleton is an absolutely fascinating character and worth a podcast of his own. His most famous voyage, the 1914-16 Endurance Expedition, has given rise to its own genre of literature on leadership, toughness, and, well, endurance. But Worsley's a fascinating case study in toughness and what appears to me to be obsession. Uh, Tom, where do you want to start with this article? Oh, by the way, spoiler alert, you might want to read the article before listening to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, I, I too was uh, struck by this article in The New Yorker. It's uh, a, a hugely long magazine piece, long-form journalism at its absolute finest. Uh, 20,000 words. Um, I read it uh, several times. Unfortunately, I uh, probably to my chagrin, I had not heard of Henry Worsley uh, before I read this article, but it was an absolute fascinating article. Um, I love obsession. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm a OCD, but I love obsession. I love movies about obsession. I love articles about obsession, and this uh, certainly was about obsession. But the more, uh, as I read the article and began to research uh uh, Worsley and Shackleton, whom I was aware of prior to this time, uh, I became convinced that their leadership lessons and their leadership lessons both from Worsley and their leadership lessons from Shackleton. And so I uh, thought it might be fun if if we could explore this, no pun intended. I know also of your small interest in this area uh, as well, and certainly your uh, uh, well-versed knowledge in polar explorations, and it might give us a chance to, to really review some of the uh, successes and failures of polar ex- explorations uh, going forward. So um, really, I thought a lot to unpack here, and it will give us, I think, a chance to really have some fun today. Yeah. Uh, well, Worsley, was, uh, his background was he was a, an SAS officer. And, of course, the British SAS training is notoriously uh, difficult and frequently results in the death of uh, the participants. In fact, one of the quotes in uh, Grant's article is from an SAS instructor where he says, death is nature's way of telling you that you failed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes, indeed. And uh, the other part on uh, Worsley is he is actually a descendant of one of the men uh, who went with Ernest Shackleton on Shackleton's uh, abortive attempt to, to his own attempt to reach the South Pole. Um, so we had a direct descendant of uh, one of Shackleton's lieutenants, and in 2012, I think, he uh, was that his first. I think that's right. Yeah, 
he uh, came up with the idea of recreating and hopefully exceeding Shackleton in, in reaching the pole. And he garnered uh, two men who were also uh, direct descendants. He found a, a grandson of Shackleton and then uh, one other um, participant, uh, Jason Adams. I believe, uh, who joined. So the three of them um, put together a uh, plan and uh, attempted to and uh, did succeed in uh, reaching the South Pole. And for Worsley, uh, it, it was cl- um, the article is really replete with his obsession. But what struck me was a couple of things from the leadership perspective. Uh, the first was very detailed and I thought thorough preparation. Uh, not simply... Um, Fundraising, they did that. Not simply uh, making sure they had supplies, they did that. But they spent a couple of years actually physically getting ready and uh, training with Arctic explorers and actually going on uh, Arctic events uh, to get some sense of what they would be up against. Um, so I, I was um, very impressed with uh, their preparation for this trip. Uh, they did, um, I think we'll touch on a little bit later, some of uh, the other explorers who we found out uh, also made these uh, traverses across the uh, Antarctic continent. And there's, a, as always, a controversy uh, about uh, who was the first, who was the best, who should get the credit. Um, but these gentlemen decided to do it uh, with hauling their own packs, uh, with not being aided by sails, which apparently is uh, certainly not cricket, at least in the English mind. And, and, all, and dogs are no longer allowed on and, Antarctica, and, which I did not know. Non-native um, animals are no longer allowed other than humans, uh, are no longer allowed on Antarctica. So that's also we learned about that. So they couldn't take sled dogs, which was uh, Raoul um, Amundsen's uh, uh, transportation, main mode of transportation, when he actually made it to the South Pole first. So a lot of preparation um, by Worsley, and he either, I guess we'd say, evolved and the other two really um, kind of uh, let him or, or suggested he really be the leader. And I think that makes sense as a military commander and certainly as an SAS commander that, that you might uh, deem that person worthy of, of being a leader leader in this type of expedition. Yeah, and you're right. And uh, one of the things with the, throughout the history of polar exploration is, is the issue of preparation. Um, Shackleton... Uh, was actually not terribly good at that. That was one of his his flaws as a leader, I think. Um, And Scott, I think, was underrated at it, although uh, Amundsen was was clearly the best. So um, what I'd hope to really do here is, uh, at least today maybe, is explore a little bit of uh, the lessons of Shackleton because uh, Worsley, uh, in addition to his obsession, I think we clearly had uh, hero worship to a degree that... uh, you don't really see in the modern day, yeah. and at least perhaps outside of groupies in the rock and roll <laughs> world. Uh, Worsley, uh, Henry Worsley, uh, just obsessed about Ernest Shackleton. And if there was ever a byword of what would Jesus do uh, for this gentleman, it was what would Shackleton do? And literally those were many of his thoughts uh, as they were preparing for and crossing the continent. So that led me to, or led us to, to take a look at some of the leadership lessons that we, uh, that uh, Shackleton left us uh, from uh, certainly his abortive attempt 
to reach the South Pole, but also um, the endurance expedition. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, Shackleton was a uh, an ex merchant marine officer in, in, uh, from England. And he was actually one of Scott's sub-lieutenants on the early Scott expeditions and was sent home with scurvy for ill health. And as a result, he, um, he and Scott butted head several times, and that's an interesting aspect we should probably discuss in the subsequent podcast. But, um, but so after that, he mounted a couple of expeditions on his own, and the most famous was the Endurance Expedition when he ignored the advice of whalers on South Georgia Island and proceeded south into heavy pack ice and the ship Endurance, which was caught in the ice. Um, Shackleton and 27 men were trapped, overwintered, and the Endurance was crushed by the ice and sank, leaving them stranded on the uh, ice floes with no way home, no radio, no GPS, no nothing. And over the course of, I think, about 18 months, Shackleton managed to get every man back alive. Uh, you've really just skimmed the surface of the amazingness of this entire expedition because uh, after the ship was crushed, uh, they made one traverse to uh, another ice shelf. At that point, Shackleton realized that they were going to actually have to go seek help, and he and uh, I think eight other men in an open boat sailed uh, 800 miles to South Georgia Island, they were landed on South Georgia Island, unfortunately on the wrong side of the island. They had to traverse across the island uh, and to reach the whaling station. And Shackleton then returned uh, to, find, to um, rescue the men he had left uh, from uh, the trip to South Georgia Island, who were on the other side of the island, and then sailed back to save the entire endurance crew. And uh, that story of his uh, traversing 800 miles in an open boat, uh, dead reckoning, sadly, and uh, getting back to uh, the uh, uh, Antarctic continent to rescue his entire crew really goes down in the uh, annals of, of uh, truly great exploration stories. Uh, certainly, um, uh, your point on his uh, dismissing the concerns raised by uh, the South Georgia Island whalers on his uh, inbound voyage to uh, the Antarctic are well worth noting, but his ability to uh, change the goals. There was a woman, uh, um, Harvard Business School historian named Nancy Cohn, who wrote a really interesting essay in the New York Times and gave a podcast on uh, the Harvard Business Review podcast about Shackleton that uh, I found in researching this article. And she said one of the, the first uh, steps of a leader was that uh, uh, when the goal changed, uh, when circumstances changed, the goal changed. And whereas Shackleton's first goal may have been for the glory of uh, being the first to the pole, when it became a um, not a rescue mis- mission but a survival mission, he actually was able to change his leadership style and uh, refocus his efforts on getting all of his men home. And that was a key, um, a key uh, first decision he made. I was also t- uh, struck by her use or quotation of the novelist David Foster Wallace, who said, uh, people, real leaders are people who help us overcome the limitations of our own individual laziness and selfishness and weakness and fear and get us to do better, harder things that we could not ourselves do on our own. And certainly uh, that was what Shackleton was able to do with his men. He didn't do this by um, essentially uh, 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 beating them into submission, but he used it with a variety of techniques. What would, today we would call emotional intelligence, 
Uh, what One of the things that struck me uh, that Shackleton used is one theme that we have con- continually seen from great leaders in this podcast series, Richard, and that is listening. That Shackleton would listen to his men, yeah. and he would listen to their concerns. And this is while being either trapped in the hull of a ship that's being crushed under a sea of ice or out on the open ice uh, after the ship had been crushed. Uh, so the, the leadership lessons that uh, Shackleton utilized... Um, one of the commentators we researched listed, I think, seven of them, um, which were honesty, that Shackleton was uh, brutally honest about the expectations of the expedition, particularly after they changed. Uh, the team was a cohesive uh, group of uh, 29, excuse me, 28 members of a multinational team. Shackleton was certainly decisive. He made a decision and struck to it. He was inclusive in that he would uh, constantly seek opposing views and he would listen to others' viewpoint. Uh, one of the things that he, uh, Shacklin was able to do that many uh, people who move to an initial leadership position have trouble with is delegation. So as a commander, Shackleton could order and did order and then had the men do the work. Um, obviously, he was able to improvise uh, throughout uh, the endurance uh, ordeal uh, to the changing conditions. And um, faith, and I don't think that is really in the term of a, of a deity or divinity faith, but faith in oneself and a, a faith that uh, you as a person can make a decision, execute that decision, and have that decision lead to a positive result. And I was interested particularly in the word faith because I don't think that's something, certainly not something we've explored on this podcast series, and I'm not sure there's a lot of leadership literature which focus on that word because it's so associated with a religious meaning. Yeah. Well, and one of the interesting things with Shackleton is he constantly exuded faith and confidence, and the men believed in him. But if you actually looked at his diaries from the expedition, he's constantly questioning his his abilities and his decision, but he never let the men see that, um, which was a key to keeping up morale. There are a couple of other ways he kept up morale. He took the troublemakers into his own tent, the, the pessimists, yes. um, in order to keep them from infecting the morale of the others. Um, the, the importance of routine duties. Uh, he set up uh, duty rosters that rotated, either alphabetically or randomly, depending on the one. And, um, and everyone did their share. Everyone pulled their weight. There were no slackers. Um, so let me go back to, to your first point on the uh, leadership lesson, which actually Cone, Nancy Cone said, was leadership lesson number one, which is uh, once uh, people see you with conviction, there will be some inner sense of confidence uh, that uh, gives people really a lighthouse in a world that's changing as fast as ours. And uh, the Shackleton Expedition, this was 14 to 16, so this was over a hundred years ago, and I think that's probably even more true today. And so a leader showing that kind of faith leading to that kind of confidence, not overconfidence, but a faith that we will succeed, I think is uh, also something that uh, is equally uh, critical. Yeah. Um, and this, this whole story is full of so many wonderful little vignettes, but you talked about honesty. Um, and one of the articles starts with the Help Wanted ad that Shackleton put in the paper before his before the expedition. And it says, Men wanted for hazardous journey. 
small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, and safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. <laughs> so I think that was a, a pretty good help wanted ad in terms of honesty. So the uh, another point that uh, Cone brought up on Shackleton was that he paid a great attention to the feeding and watering of his men. Um, they did have dogs with them initially, but um, those dogs died and uh, they were eventually eaten. Uh, but for... Um, Significant events such as uh, Christmas, Easter, Boxing Day, other national, uh, uh, I guess, Napoleon, uh, Waterloo Day, uh, they would uh, actually cook up, catch some penguins, kill them, and cook them up. Uh, they had a, a supply of liquor that they would uh, get a dram or two, or at least a shot or two, uh, so that there was uh, a clear attempt to uh, feed, uh, feed his men, not fet them, but feed them and give them uh, food and water uh, not as a um, not not withholding it as a punishment, but rewarding it, uh, rewarding their men on certain occasions. So I thought that was a really interesting point. And the the point that Cone uh, derived from that, which I never considered, was what's the first thing companies cut? Yeah, I really thought that was an interesting. Point. Uh, which is uh, you know the free coffee and free snacks. And that uh, she really said that uh, companies really should rethink that because the feeding and watering of your troops uh, can be a very, uh, not only important uh, tool, but a powerful message that you could send. Yeah, I thought that was, that was a great point. The other thing that one of the articles pointed out was there were instances where everyone's cold, they're working hard, and one person is obviously beginning to fail. And Shackleton would stop and have hot chocolate served to everybody. So it avoided embarrassing the guy who was starting to fail. It also probably meant everybody else was on the edge of failure. Um, but it was also another way to jointly reward them and, and keep them going. And I think you could treat that as a metaphor. I mean, there are times that uh, just something like praise will, uh, will help serve as, as food and water. The two points I drew from that uh, uh, exercise or that example, Richard, were certainly the giving of sus sustenance. Uh, was extraordinarily important, but the manner in which he did it, which was he would he would uh, have all the men have hot chocolate, right. so none of the other men might know who was lagging or who was failing behind. Although I suspect that in such close quarters they would know. Nevertheless, uh, this meant that Shackleton was not singling out anyone uh, for uh, detrimental conduct or demerits or uh, any other negative. Um, critiques, and I thought that was equally important as well. Yeah, for special treatment. Yes. Um, let's see. Going forward, um, there are a couple of other things about, I guess, Worsley and Shackleton. And Worsley uh, is described as a man out of his time who believed in the ideals of courage and sacrifice. And then there were several articles we looked at that challenged some of that and basically accused him of almost of masochism, of making the job harder than it had to be. And I thought that there were leadership lessons in that, too, that in, in polar expeditions, maybe, well, it, it's, it's an interesting problem because in order to be first now in the modern world, you have to do something really strange and really dangerous. Um, but... Is it the case that these people sometimes made things harder than they had to be? Uh, 
Well, I thought about it perhaps in another way. And um, without revealing either of our ages, uh, I will say that um, uh, triathlons uh, came into the fore where we were in uh, high school. Uh, and um, one of the things that... Or perhaps a little after. <laughs> or, or perhaps. Uh, well, uh, one of the things that struck me early on was that people who were accused of, uh, or people who competed in triathlons were accused of being masochists, were accused of trying to push themselves not to their physical limited past, but trying to induce some sort of physical pain for, for whatever psychological reasons. And um, I heard uh, people actually interviewed on that topic. Uh, now, triathlons are, uh, I guess, mainstream. Yeah. And uh, you have, uh, I wouldn't say weekend warriors, because you have to commit a, a significant amount. Nevertheless, um, kind of regular people can do those. Uh, and the lesson I draw from that is you're always going to have the leaders in any uh, extreme physical activity are going to be those people who are willing to push themselves and who are willing to test their limits, whether that be a psychological makeup, whether that be uh, some hole in them they're trying to fill, whether they're just competitive people. Um, but as they lead uh, those efforts, then it becomes much more mainstream. Uh, I used to um, uh, uh, canoe and, and raft a fair amount, and uh, the scale of rapids is uh, a one to five, and a five being uh, the highest or, or uh, most extreme. And then above that, there's a six, and a six means no one's done it until they have. Then it becomes a five because someone's <laughs> done it. And so um, I really thought about uh, those, those points you raised on Worsley. Uh, I, I didn't feel that he was making it harder. What I did feel was he just wanted to challenge himself, and he wanted to challenge himself in a way I, I agree was obsessive and certainly beyond uh, what you and I would ever want to challenge ourselves at. Nevertheless, um, those are the kinds of people who lead uh, the rest of us to something becoming mainstream. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I really had thought about it in, in that light. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Um... And I guess one of the other things that really struck me about this is um, to what extent does all these things need to be read with a critical eye, of course, and, uh, and the awareness that hindsight will always color our perception. But um, where was I going with that? The, um, sorry, blanked on that. Well, the, um, uh, I think um, let's maybe turn to Worsley's last expedition because I think there are some lessons, some important lessons there. And I say last because uh, uh, he attempted to cross the Antarctic unaided and uh, died in the attempt. And uh, he died because of uh, massive organ failure 71 days in, into his attempt. The... Um, he did have modern aid with him in terms of a satellite phone, so he was uh, taken off the ice, uh, but he died in the hospital uh, because of massive organ failure. And I attributed that directly to a point you raised earlier, Richard, was around his sustenance, his eating and drinking. He was dehydrated. He was undercaloried. He made clear, or the article, uh, both the New, York, uh, New Yorker um, 
magazine article and the article uh, reporting his death made clear that they could not intake enough calories to sustain themselves so that they were uh, losing weight, losing bulk, losing body mass, losing heat and warmth. Uh, and it turns out uh, on his final expedition, uh, his body was literally feeding on itself uh, to cause a massive organ failure. Uh, and this is frankly not something that is unknown. Uh, you, you know you're going to spend X number of calories. you got to get close to it. Uh, however you put that into your body, whether it be hot white beans, whether it be soup, whether, you know, uh, whatever it may be. And so uh, I was really, um, I don't want to say disappointed, but it seemed to me that was a known risk that he could have managed better. Well, let's go back because prior to the endurance expedition, Shackleton had led an expedition to the pole. It wasn't alone. It wasn't unaided. And they got, I believe, 80 miles from the pole. Right. And at that point, Shackleton said, we're done. We're going back. Um, rather than losing all of his men, as, as Scott did, um, he got his men back. But he'd failed in terms of reaching that particular objective. He'd recognized that despite how tough these people were, that they had actually reached their limitations. And Worsley seemed not to have that awareness. Maybe because he was alone. I don't know. You know, that's a really interesting point. Um, unfortunately, with my own body, uh, I cannot determine when I'm about to get injured, I get injured. Uh, and so how do I know I'm injured? Well, I'm injured. Uh, I don't get a little warning light going off. But perhaps Shackleton could observe his companions and see in them something that he couldn't see in himself. And, you know, that that is an excellent point. And I really had not considered that in terms of uh, Worsley's uh, last expedition where he, he, where he did die. Um, the, um, I guess the, the, the calorie intake, though, is the thing that really bothers me because I think that's a, a risk that's known and the risk, even if you can't manage it precisely, you can at least manage it somewhat. Yeah. And actually, that was one of the things that struck me about the early days of polar exploration was how poor nutritional knowledge was. They really didn't even understand caloric intake, much less um, the need for huge amounts of, of vitamins. I guess they understood scurvy at that point, but that was about it. So, Richard, the um, I was just incredibly gratified uh, to read this article in The New Yorker. It opened up a, a, a history of uh, individual endurance and exploration. Uh, I had some knowledge, obviously, of the pole and uh, Scott and uh, uh, Shackleton, but it really opened up uh, a world for me to explore and for us to explore on this podcast, because I think there were really some significant leadership lessons. Certainly, they were in extreme conditions. Nevertheless, um, the Shackleton expedition is uh, considered uh, as used as a case study um, uh, in the Harvard Business School and other business schools. Uh, and if we could end on maybe this point, both uh, Nancy Cohn and other uh, authors that I uh, came across in researching this made clear, though, that when they teach this to business executives, one of the critiques is he failed yeah, and that there was failure and that um, as great as a leader as you may be, uh, at the end of the day, was he successful? And Cohn seemed to point to his original mission was clearly not successful, but his uh, pivot to the new mission of, uh, of not only survival but getting his men off alive, he was successful. And so in the, that account... She believed uh, he, he should be credited, but uh, it was a fair point to say that his original mission was not successful. Okay, well, going back to uh, earlier, the, um, it was not successful. And the other thing was uh, Shackleton's reputation was not that great. 
um, because they came back in 1916 to the horrors of the First World War. Yes. They had failed in their mission uh, to reach the Pole. And um, so basically he was a footnote to history until uh, Lansing wrote, well, he, he released his own uh, memoir called South. And I was going to suggest for future reading, first of all, that you go read the Grand article. I thought it was spectacular. Um, Shackleton South is very good, but his reputation was really made, I think, by uh, Lansing's uh, Endurance, which came out in the late 50s. Um, my personal favorite of the Polar Memoirs is called The Worst Journey in the World by a man named Apsley Cherry Gerard. Um, but I think we'll be coming back to polar exploration in some subsequent podcasts. I think we will. It's been uh, a lot of fun. All right. Till next time, it's 12 o'clock live. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.